Welcome to episode 46 of the Accessibility Craft Podcast, where we explore the art of creating accessible websites while trying out interesting craft beverages. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Equalize Digital, a WordPress accessibility company and the proud creators of the Accessibility Checker plugin. In this episode, we take a deep dive into accessibility-first development briefs and how our own approach to establishing accessibility requirements on projects continues to evolve. For show notes and a full transcript, go to accessibilitycraft.com slash 046. And now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. It's Amber, and I'm here today with Chris. Hey, everyone. And Steve. Hey, everybody. And we are going to be talking about writing dev briefs or accessibility first dev briefs today. But we're going to start with a beverage. Yeah, we are dipping back into the cider well, um, so to speak. So we uh, sourced a cider called Two Towns uh, Cider House, the Bad Apple. Um, And this is going to be an imperial style cider fermented with local meadow farm honey and then aged in Oregon white oak. I was trying to find something that was going to be like a little a little more dry, a little complex and not just fermented apple juice um, with nothing else going on. So uh, it it is uh, very well regarded on untapped. So hopefully hopefully we're in for a treat here. And it says it's a 10.5% alcohol per volume. So yeah. it'll, it's a good thing it'll it's a Friday be very in- enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, this is a, a bottle opener bottle, right? Yeah. So shall we crack them open? Let's do it. And I brought a glass today too. I'm being extra fancy. So all right, yeah. pour here. I thought I heard somebody's make a noise, but mine didn't make no. like a... Mine didn't make much of a noise either. Yeah, so not as carbonated. Boldly crafted in Oregon on the inside of the on the inside of the cap. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this bottle that we have, it's more than a pint. Yeah, it's big. 16.9 fluid ounces. It's it's it's, uh, got an extra ounce on there. Oh, I'm gonna use my handy dandy. WordCamp Denver organizer bottle opener that also keeps bottles fresh. Yeah. Because oh. there's no way I'm drinking this entire thing. <laughs> so, ooh, this is pretty. And by the way, we have just decided, everyone, that at the beginning of January, so not not this episode, but the next episode, we are going to have videos available on YouTube for these two. So if you ever decide that you want to tune in and watch so you can see the beverages, we still describe them for people yeah, who yeah. listen uh, and see our funny faces when we try them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Unfortunately, they have to see our faces too. But <laughs> I mean, sometimes our faces are happy. I, I like this. So this bottle... Uh, so as we said, it is large, <laughs> so yeah. it is definitely bigger than a regular beer bottle, uh, like double the size, I guess. And, um, it's got a red and black label with a tree on it with a single apple, the bad mm-hmm. apple. It's so. the bad apple that's left. And well, it is a say, nice gold, golden color. Yeah, yeah. Nice golden color, nice bubbles. They're not, they're just kind of lazily floating up and sticking it to the sides of my glass. Like 
champagne or like a sparkling wine to me. Yeah, I was gonna say it gets a little it's a little prosecco-y there. Uh it's kind of what it, what the bubble pattern reminds me of. I like I love the nose on this. It's very, very minerally, very tart. It smells like beer. Oh, it's just really it smells it smells like apple to me. I don't get beer. I I get beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely that yeasty smell. I'm gonna but, take a sip. Yeah, me too. All right, let's see. Ooh, I like this. Ooh. Oh, well, you get the mm. apple there. Big mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I mean, it it tastes like apple you, juice with a little bit of a kick. It's, it's got a really long neck. Can you guys, can you hear? I don't know if we can pick this up on the microphone, but like. Is it, is it like glugging a little it's bit? It's like glug, glug, glug. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, can't, I couldn't hear that on the microphone. That's part of the experience, of. I think. <laughs> And I got to say, I, I really enjoyed my first sip. Like it's got that acidity. It's mm. got like the bubbles aren't overpowering. I taste a little bit of that white oak. Like not that I can discern different oak flavors. My palate isn't that developed, but I definitely get a little bit of that. Like this is satin wood for a while kind of flavor. Well, hold on now. I'm really apple-y. curious about that. What about this? Like what is what is it that you're tasting that tastes like Cause when I always, when things are like they're oak flavored or whatever, like I never know, like, what would I want um, to look for in my mouth to like, so it, it comes, recognize. it comes from years of tasting like oaked versus unoaked Chardonnays for like when I was in restaurants and wine tasting school. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically it's like, if you get like um, notes of like caramel or, or vanilla or and like not necessarily on the nose but also on the palate and some and and like there's just a there is like a woody flavor like almost like like not to the not to the extremity of chewing on a toothpick but like you know like there is there is just this undertone if you kind of look for it underneath the apple um i'm getting a little bit of that like woody complexity um versus just it being like you know like a stainless steel fermented apple drink that has never had any contact with any other element in nature. Right. Um, okay. I, I think I get it. I mean, what I like about this is it's not really sweet at all. I mean, it has a little sweetness, but it's, it's not sweet, but I feel like, well, I mean, yeah, it's not like a beer, like there's no bitter, but it's not like a, a like when I think of apple juice, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. actual apple juice, it's like so sweet. And when I saw the color of this as yellow as it is, I was a little nervous that it was going to be very apple juicy. And I guess I do kind of like if I take a sip and I hold it in my mouth towards the end, I maybe get what you're talking about, where it's like a little more woody or more organic. And that's where in apple juice, I'm like eh, too sweet. And so it like starts sweet, but then it ends dry almost. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, just straight apple juice is always way too sweet for me. Um, but it kind of has that I, like sticky on your lip, like stickiness mm-hmm. of apple juice on your lips, you know, like there's definitely a little residual sugar in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not bad though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, I like it. I think yeah. I would get it again. Would it you get be, it again, uh, it... Steve? <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you send me it again, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> You'll drink it. I'll drink it. <laughs> you know, Quiet, it's... kids. Daddy's having his apple juice. Yeah, this is... <laughs> it's been a rough week, kids. 
that needs his apple juice. <laughs> well, okay. So I do want to ask just a quick throwback because we're recording this after Thanksgiving. Did anyone's children try the turkey and gravy soda? Yeah. And what was the verdict? Did they think it was as horrible as we did? Or did any of them surprisingly like it? Yeah, We'll give it to some family members. They didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) But was it amusing? Yeah. I mean, it's a novelty, you know, like. Yeah. yeah. Just (laughs) to bring it and bring it out, you know. Everybody's like, Ugh, gross, you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we uh we took it to our uh Chris's aunt and uncles and the the cousins and some of our kids tried sips of it. I don't think anyone drank an entire bottle <laughs> or got anywhere uh, wh- close to it. When I left at the end of the visit, there were still three bottles sitting on the counter and I was thinking to myself, I'm just gonna leave those there. Uh, <laughs> We'll let them throw them away. Not we'll let problem. them throw them away. <laughs> you know, I, I, I very much appreciate that we're back to normal beverages, <laughs> and not you know weirdly meat flavored beverages. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but every once in a while, it's fun to be silly. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta just do like a couple a year. I think that's a good cadence. We had Hello Kitty earlier this year, and then we had the the turkey soda. Well, I will pick Hello Kitty soda over turkey soda any day. (laughs) Yeah. Well. So so I thought it would be fun to make this episode a little bit of a build in public, if you will. But like we've been talking about how we need to, as we move into 2024, revise what our process looks like for writing dev notes. Um. We've gone through quite a bit and we've sometimes had some challenges about communicating what needs to be done from an accessibility perspective to the devs and then getting it back <laughs> that way. Like even when we thought we communicated, like it didn't always come back in that way. And and so I know we were talking about maybe we should just like chat about this and figure it out. And I was like, why not do it in a podcast episode? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. So I know when we were initially focusing on this, we um, we spent a lot of time thinking about what what are all the things that we can do before dev to try to make it so that whoever's building it creates fewer accessibility problems in their work like not not necessarily always code but like things that we can look at in content and and in the design and even from discovery forward like how we even structure the thing we're building um and i know we came up with a checklist but amber um as the author of said checklist do you want to talk about (laughs) some of the things that we do yeah yeah this is this is what we call our shift left with accessibility checklist. Um, I mean, I'll say broadly, like one of the things that we've done more, and this has come into play twofold. One, just because as we have moved into building more enterprise websites, we needed to have more attention to detail, but also because of accessibility is just in general, we're creating more designs in Figma than we ever were. Like it used to be like, you get a homepage and a blog archive and a blog post and just an interior page. (laughs) 
right? Or it'd be like four to seven designs per website. And now sometimes we have websites where there's like 30 designs. And then if it's like an application or something where we're like, oh, and there's going to be a modal and here's all of the possible options with the modal. And I felt like while it does definitely increase like the discovery and the design um, time frame and thus the budget for the client, like from an accessibility standpoint and just a general like delivering a really high quality website, I think having more design than not leaving it up to the developer has helped um, because we're defining more. And then there is stuff where, um, so our designer, Jacob is great. Like he, we spent a lot of time talking to him about things. Um, so like when we're talking about, you know, what's in that checklist on content, uh, there's some things that he just knows already. Like he generally looks for color contrast as he's designing, but I will look for it because every once in a while he will miss something and he'll have not on the main, but it'll be like, oh, the hover state is orange on white. And I'm like, yeah, that fails. <laughs> right. So we need to come up with something or sometimes he'll miss like the color alone. So I'll spend time like looking for that to make sure like, are there not just a color change on links, but where we have a state change too. So if the link was underlined, then on hover in the design, we're showing a hover and we're showing that the underline went away and the color changed. Um, so we're doing a lot of that kind of stuff. I've been trying to get better about having him be consistent with his heading levels. I think that's something that's really hard. Yeah. But But then if he doesn't, then I'm like, one of the last like two projects I've actually gone through in Figma and put comments and been like H2, H3, H2, H3, right? Like I literally defined what they should be in code because on a certain page, like the sizing didn't match um, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Or like if something's really big, like putting on the file, you know, that it's not a heading, this just needs to be like large size text or something using the WordPress large text sizing and block editor. Um, so, I mean, those are some of the things that I think we've been looking for, like before we even get to dev. Are, are there other things that I'm forgetting, Steve? No, I mean, I think, I think those are some of the big things. And I think, I think what happened, what what's good is like, uh, we're doing like intermittent, like dev checks of, of the design as well. Like Amber will, alert me to uh do a pass on the designs to make sure there's nothing that kind of stands out uh from an accessibility standpoint and even from a complexity standpoint right or you know things don't always translate you know if you're using a plugin to achieve like a instagram output right and then the design has a kind of a a design that was not achievable with that plugin you know kind of uh to to comment on those things and like uh you know, they're to have discussion about whether or not to use modals for everything or, uh, you know, accordions, tabs, you know, like, should it really just be a link to another page? Because from an accessibility standpoint, the more like dynamic components that you make like that, the more complexity you're adding to your dev, dev, dev process. Yeah. Which makes the budget have to be bigger for clients. Yeah, so if you're trying to like keep your profit margin at a certain percent and, make it feasible for certain client budgets, then sometimes you have to make choices to limit and be like, okay, well, 
yeah, we could design it this way, but <laughs> right. maybe it's not best. Yeah, totally. But I, I think I think the big things, like you said, are color contrast, heading sizes. I know translating, you know, I'm speaking from translating from design to development. And I think a lot of times that's where our communication is probably broke down the most is like on font sizes and headings. So I actually think in the design where you've gone through the design and put all the this is an H1, this is an H2, right? Because uh, a lot of developers that are inexperienced with uh, accessibility will will use the font size as the indicator of which one to use, not the structure of the page. Mm -hmm. So so now if you have a if you have a developer that's working on a project that is has been through several projects with you and is very trained on this, you know they can they can make those decisions pretty good themselves. But I think it's still good to uh you know that we go through and we 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 write it out exactly what it should be so there's no question yeah um so so i know and i'm I'm a little skipping ahead in our our notes but just thinking about this conversation about how we're going to change it might be useful to give our listeners like a background on you know kind of where we've been and some of the things we've tried um and on like how to communicate about accessibility to developers. And this year has been sort of an interesting year for us because we've had more contractors work on websites or new developers work on websites as we've grown the team um, mm -hmm. than we have in the past. And I think I definitely, <laughs> I, like I've been trying to refine, but it's hard. Like Steve and I have been working together for seven years. Seven and a half years, yeah. Yeah, so like, Things that I was just like, oh, I don't have to tell anyone this because it just happens that way. Yeah. Like I, I realized, you know, sometimes when I think it's intuitive, it's it's totally not. And that's not on the person. That's probably on me for just assuming it or it's just you and me like have it having worked together. We just know. Um, so. This episode of Accessibility Craft is sponsored by Equalize Digital Accessibility Checker, the WordPress plugin that helps you find accessibility problems before you hit publish. A WordPress native tool, Accessibility Checker provides reports directly on the post edit screen. Reports are comprehensive enough for an accessibility professional or developer, but easy enough for a content creator to understand. Accessibility Checker is an ideal tool to audit existing WordPress websites, find accessibility problems during new builds, or monitor accessibility and remind content creators of accessibility best practices on an ongoing basis. Scans run on your server, so there are no per-page fees or external API connections. GDPR and privacy compliant, real-time accessibility scanning. Scan unlimited posts and pages with Accessibility Checker free. Upgrade to a paid version of Accessibility Checker to scan custom post types and password-protected sites. View site-wide open issue reports and more. Download Accessibility Checker free today at equalizedigital.com forward slash accessibility dash checker. Use coupon code ACCESSIBILITYCRAFT to save 10% on any paid plan. So we did some, um, we had Codable do some websites, some devs through Codable, which we love Codable. Um, and, and with that, you have to submit like a brief in order to get your pricing. So 
I created this whole Google doc that was sort of like a template that we could modify because I needed more characters than would fit in Quotable's <laughs> little box. And, and, uh, and we can maybe talk more about um, like some of the things we have in there in a little bit. But so then we had like dev notes in Google doc because I had to do that in order to even get a, a, a quote on something that I was going to have a contractor build. But then for our in-house devs, it's like, well, why is it in a Google doc? And then we've sometimes put it in, in, so for a while it was like in Basecamp on like Kanban tiles or to-dos, but then also I'm going through the Figma file and mm-hmm. I'm putting comments on things in the Figma file, either using Figma comments or sometimes I've like put text box to like the side yeah. and I've written notes there. So these are like all these different places where I've tried to communicate how this design is supposed to be built and some of the expected accessibility functionality. And I think that's been a challenge, right? For developers. Yeah. I mean, there's it's a, a, it's a lot of information. It's a lot of, you yeah. know, signal versus noise and what should yeah. I focus on? And Please, GitHub, GitHub's a part of that too. I mean, like once, oh, devs, yeah. once, once dev starts moving, GitHub gets in, introduced, right. And we can, we can comment on PRs inside of GitHub. So it's like, there's a lot of, areas where they can get notifications or they have to keep up with notifications right like because even in a google doc you can you can comment and add comments and stuff so it's like yeah i mean that's definitely been a challenge to try to find one like project management workflow and we've been trying new things out and uh yeah. And I mean, to that to that end, one thing that I know we were talking about even recently is like, could we get almost everything into GitHub? But then it's like, but then what does the client see? Yeah. Does the client have a GitHub account? Right. And and it's like, it's this weird, it's this weird rock and a hard place that I feel like we're caught between, right? Where we we need to honor our devs need to have as few channels as possible to monitor so that they can spend more time just building the thing. But we also need our customers to understand what progress is being made and what we're working on, right? In in the moment, so they yeah. they don't get weeks of silence, right? And and don't and can't check in. And it's uh yeah, it's yeah. it's a challenge. And I don't know, it's a challenge that we've completely solved. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's like you know, uh, from a development, you know, we have we have our accessibility checker plugin, right? And that's a that's a piece of software that is worked on entirely almost in github right for the most part and and uh everything can happen there because it you know you don't have that client feedback websites are this massive thing of back and forth you know multiple uh you know change requests and you know questions on that so it's it's very it's very difficult um but uh you know we've tried some tools out that you know chris implemented some tools where the client can submit change requests right on the website and it automatically creates a, a GitHub issue. Now that requires... Yeah, that was marker.io. Okay, yeah, yeah. For people who are listening. Yeah. I thought that worked well. Did you think that was okay? It, it did. I think it, it, there were, it was something like you give, you give the customer a tool to use and it's very easy to, to use so they just click right right on the website where they want to add a comment and they add a comment right and it goes right to github so, with the screenshot i mean what i liked about that was it had a screenshot it had their link. operating system their browser their even like, the resolution width. 
Yeah, yeah, the resolution, it's they had to give their name and email address. So if we had multiple people, so we had a lot more information than we normally have, because sometimes you have to go back and be like, well, we're not seeing this. What's your browser? What's your right? So yeah. it did that by default. So that did require a, a little bit of maybe unintended work on our end to then go through those from a project management standpoint and filter those out like you know, what's in scope, what's not in scope. You know, we created a Kanban board, you know, where we could filter those out and then we'd move things yeah. to in progress that the- In GitHub, a Kanban board. Yeah. A camp, yeah, so another Kanban board <laughs> inside of GitHub. Separate from our Basecamp Kanban board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Which at that point we were in QA, so everything in the Kanban board and Basecamp was linked in the done column. So I don't know that it- it's like the Kanban moves somewhere else, which is weird, right? And it's like yeah. clearly, clearly we're we're constantly iterating and trying to find ways to make this more efficient. The other thing that was interesting with Marker in like a a crappy way, right, is when you have a customer with a team of five to six people entering issues, we had instances where five or six people entered the same issue. And so it's like Amber's having to go through and collate, be like, oh, these this long list isn't actually that long. It's like a, as a fifth of as long as it looks because there's a shitload of duplicates. Right? So for everyone who manages client feedback, here's what I'm going to tell you on this website. In round one, we got like 500 issues created with this tool. But yeah. I think like 390 of them were <laughs> duplicates. And I was like, oh, man. Because normally, of course, multiple people from the company look at it, but if they're giving you a Google Doc or a spreadsheet, they can see what other people have entered and they don't want to enter the same thing. But in this instance, because, no, and I did at one point when I saw so many duplicates coming in, I asked them, I was like, do y'all have GitHub accounts? Because I want to invite you to this <laughs> just so they can look at it. And they were like, no, we've never used that. And I was like, well, of course you don't. I don't actually, I don't know why I asked that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh yeah. I mean, some of that too is like you, we definitely had issues too, where like even the, the one, one person would enter the same issue over and over. That was like a template thing on different pages, but it was yeah, all the same. They didn't realize they didn't have to report. They only had to report it one time. They didn't have to report it like every time they saw it on all the different pages. Yeah. And so some of this is yeah. like, we tried out a tool for the first time and we're learning now how to communicate with the customer about that tool better. So I think next time it's like, it, the instructions will be beyond. Just click this button and then highlight your issue. It's going to be, tell us about a problem once. If you see it again, don't enter a new one, right? Like yeah. uh, there will be some some additional instructions that get relayed for sure. Yeah, and yes. they, don't, they don't always understand that like fixing fixing this issue fixes it on everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. They think it's all- No, it's not their fault. It's yeah. not their fault. Uh, it's 100% our fault that we had that many issues and then only ended up with uh, 20% of the total number, right? After we cleared all the duplicates out. Um, yeah. Well, okay, wait. So we went on a little bit of a tangent, which is cool and fun, yep. but let's go back to DevNotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I want to talk about this idea of like what needs to be communicated upfront because this is a thing that we've learned. And I, I have a, I'm just going to say this for everyone. I have a link in our show notes, <laughs> uh, which I can probably clean up and we can put it put in the show notes for the podcast for people to see like the accessibility. I'll just have the accessibility section for this, but I'm, I actually think it might be useful for us to literally go through this and we can like round robin it like point by point because um, the accessibility section on this dev notes 
doc, it's like things that we've added to every time we saw a problem. And I was like, I'm just going to tell people upfront about these and be like, this is my baseline expectation. So can we, would it be weird if the three of us went through and we each like the main bullet points, we just each read one until we get to the end of the list. So people who are listening know, like, what are the baseline things that we tell a dev before they even start or even quote a project? Can we do well, that? I think, yeah, I'm, and I'm cool that I can start and then we can just go to to Steve and then you and then back to me. Um, but I, I think I'll start with the intro paragraph, which it just explains accessibility is important to us and will be a big part of our test and debug process. So right there, we're giving them a, a heads up, right? Um, we are we are going through the accessibility section, right, Amber? Okay. Um, we'll be looking at HTML output in your code. Make sure it's semantic HTML. I'm being upfront about this because it would be ideal if you code with accessibility in mind from the beginning. That will reduce the need for us to have extra rounds of revision or you needing to recode things after the fact to meet standards, which is frustrating for everyone. So we're being very upfront saying, we expect you to build things with that output at semantic HTML. If you don't do this, it is 100% coming up in in subsequent phases, right? Okay, so let's read through the bullet points. I'll take the first one. Um, so buttons will be coded as buttons, not divs, spans, or tags. A tags. A tags, yeah. Yeah, so then the next one is, and I might read two right here, just because I think they kind of go together, but it says everything interactive will be keyboard focusable. The whole website needs to be usable with the keyboard alone. Use your tab key to check this. And then every focusable element needs a visible focus outline. And we specify two pixel solid with a two pixel offset that sufficiently contrasts with the background. And I'm giving Chris the hard one. <laughs> <laughs> so the next bullet point is all about any sort of pop-up or modal. So light boxes, pop-ups, and modals will manage focus well, i.e. And we've talked about this. I think we had a whole podcast episode about this, didn't we? Yeah. Um, so we should link to that in the show notes. Um, but uh, basically what we specify is that when opened, focus will move into the light box pop-up or modal. There is no way to tab out of the light box pop-up or modal without closing it. After closing it, Focus returns to the element that triggered it. That's a really common thing mm -hmm. that people miss is returning focus to where they were before. Um, the escape key should close the element when pressed. Man, I wish everybody did this because it's like the first thing I try when I want to get rid of a modal and <laughs> it only works, you know, three out of 10 times, um, if that. And then screen readers should announce if a modal has been opened. So those are the those are our modal requirements. All right. Uh, any read more link will have an ARIA label that includes the post title, i.e. ARIA dash label equals read more of post XYZ. Yeah, and then we have some sub items sub -item, under there. Yeah. This applies to all ambiguous links. Learn more, more, download, etc. You can use the screen reader text format plugin to add screen reader text in the block editor for ambiguous links in blocks. So that's an add-on, right? That's a or that's a plugin in the plugin repository. Screen reader text format. Is that is that is that the actual name of it? 
Yeah, that's the name of it. It comes from Reactive. It's free. Um, that's always in our base installs that we have. So yeah, even when we go get a developer off Codable, they're building in our base. Um, and so we're like telling them, you don't like in some scenarios, you don't code this. You enter it in the editor. Um, and so yeah. we're like trying because a lot of developers maybe aren't aware of that tool. And that's a really great tool, which we can definitely add to our uh, podcast for our show notes for this. So um, this was a big one that has come up a lot. It's it's funny because this list we're reading right now, everyone like we've added to this list every time we find problems. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be no empty links, buttons or headings. Says if a button or link contains an icon, the icon has to have proper alternative text that it, um, or it has if it's hidden from screen readers, then there has to be an ARIA label or hidden screen reader text communicating the button or link's purpose. Uh, if you code a custom ACF block to match the design, assume that any field could be left blank. This goes back to those empty headings. Mm -hmm. As such, you have to use conditionals when fetching the meta or other information. Don't output empty tags or a heading with no content following it if the meta field is left empty in the admin. I, it, that surprises me so much. And we yeah. should take a brief break from reading this list because, Steve, <laughs> I want I have seen so many developers yep. not make ACF blocks or page templates with ACF with conditionals. And yep. I don't understand that. Why? <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it shows it shows a lack of experience. I mean, really, because you want to do a conditional check on those all the time, right? Because like it, it could be it could be an array, and and there could be like it could be a group field or that you're saving as an array, right? And one of the values is filled in, but the other isn't, right? So then you get the you know an undefined index error, right? Um, so I think it just comes back to experience. Like they're not running any kind of air handling. They're, you know, they don't have query monitor running in their website that lets them know, hey, there's an error here, right? And a lot of times when developers are building websites, like they're taking the content and they're plugging it right in. So they're like, they're almost like evaluating a best case scenario. Like there, all mm -hmm. the fields are filled in and it works. And then it gets to us and, and to the content people and they actually use the block and then there's errors on the on the page or the block breaks, right? You get that nasty little warning in the block editor that the block is not working. And it's it's just, be, you know, they're just doing like, if it's ACF, they're probably just grabbing the field, you know, the field, right? They're not doing a mm -hmm. if get field, right? They're not checking. And that just comes with experience. Yeah. I mean, I think I've even seen that too on like, even outside of the custom blocks scenario, like on, um, custom post types where you're frequently adding like even like a team for example yeah. and we've like the design shows a fully filled out with like here this person has a phone number that's visible and this person has you know a link to twitter and like all these things or whatever but then in reality not all of the team members have all of the different pieces right. of meta and so then you get like i've seen before where it's just like spacing yeah or there's a, a, yeah. a literal link there Yep. With nothing in it, like it's an empty href that goes to Twitter. <laughs> it's still visible on the page, but it doesn't go anywhere because they didn't put like a Twitter handle in for that person or whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes with experience, and I think websites are websites are kind of high pressure and fast moving, right? So 
sometimes, you know, corners are corners are cut. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, if you're building an application, you got a little bit more time and there's a little more thought process that goes into how this can be worked. And a lot of times, like if you're building a WordPress plugin, right? Like you don't know how it's going to be used, right? Like you don't have the perfect scenario. So mm -hmm. you, you do consider those things more. But yeah, I think it just comes with, you know, attention to detail and thinking, thinking forward, right? But this has definitely been a big issue for us, like with some newer yeah. devs. And it's interesting because it's one of those things that you just don't think about as much as causing accessibility issues. Yeah. But it really can if you end up with empty heading tags, which aren't even visible on the page. But yeah. then a screen reader user comes along and they go to their headings list because they're trying to figure out how to jump through. And there's like multiple like H2s that have nothing in them. Yep. And and that can really cause a problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean good code review probably can catch some of this stuff. Right. But uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it just depends on how your company is working at that time. If, if somebody's available for code review and sometimes, you know, to be honest in a small company, sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm not always available for code review or I put trust in that developer to, mm -hmm. to you know, to not, re you know, re require them to attach me to review it. Right. And then sometimes we get down the road and we're like, uh, some things are missed. Yeah. Yeah. So talking of headings, that's the next thing on this list. Yeah. So headings being used in the correct order, which we alluded to earlier in the design note portion, uh, we can provide a view of the design that uh, indicates the expected heading levels if you need this. Uh, and Amber is saying we often provide that up front um, in our comments. It's just mm -hmm. sometimes I think it's down to whether or not they see those comments, right? Uh, and you will likely need to style heading levels multiple ways to fit the design because uh, we're we're special and we're fancy. So <laughs> or just annoying. I don't know what yeah. the what that's like from a developer perspective. I bet Steve could tell us. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not always fun. <laughs> it can be a challenge, you know, when the when the visual heading order doesn't align with the actual heading, you know, like so. You do your best. Um, sometimes you got to do some fancy custom classes to add to those blocks. But uh, um, cool. So the last one here, uh, images should almost always be in an image tag. Background images are only appropriate for true background images that are purely decorative. Here's an example, which no, you guys can't see here. So yeah, I'll, we I'll have read, a screenshot. Yeah, we have a screenshot. I'll read. I'll read this. There's some sub bullet items here for this. Uh, the subtle uh, helmet graphic on the header bottom right is decorative, and should be a background image. So we're looking at a website, and it's got like your typical like hero area, and it's got a a title inside of it, and uh, there's like a a little helmet. Is it like a it's part like of their logo. Part of their logo. Um, and it's just kind of like a screen back background graphic that is just, you know, decorative graphic. And then finally, the photo uh, of the building is not decorative and should be a foreground image with alt text. So below, below that heading area, there's like a featured image. And it's like an image of a storefront uh, or a, a party room or something. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but... Um, so this should actually have some alt text because it adds context to the page. 
Yeah. And this one came up. I added it. And at first I was so mad. I was like, why do I even have to tell people this? But we got a, a website built by a developer. It was the first time he built a website for us. And every image, because I guess he was really trying to force them to fit in a container. Yep. Every image, like the featured images on the blog posts everywhere, on the like at the top of the post, like even like pictures of people on the team, they were all just like background images because <laughs> he was like and he was doing like cover or something i guess to like yeah, a yeah. specific container size and i was just like okay i guess we got to tell this we got to tell this developer and so now i'm just like i'm tell all developers yeah well if I it's think, decorative it could be a background image yeah. if it provides meaningful like this photo that's like showing someone what your store looks like yeah. it you know that that provides it's, meaning <laughs> yeah yeah it's like i think that's a little bit of a you know, leftover from days gone by with development, you know, like we, that used to be the only way we could fit something to a container size without some kind of funky JavaScript, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you had like a square that's like 300 by 300, right? And you want to put an image in there that's whatever size and you want it to fit without stretching it, you had to use the background, right? To do a background cover, CSS background cover on it. Um, But now we have the object fit, right? We have you can you can actually achieve the same thing with a semantic image and mm-hmm. just use the CSS object fit. Yeah. And I think along these same lines, while we're talking about images, this next bullet kind of follows along with that, which is that um, it says all image tags, and it has an image tag, should get the alt out of the media library. If alt isn't entered, then the alt attribute should be alt equals double quote. It's an empty alt. Please don't replace it with the image title because that is usually garbage. (laughs) And that's because we had somebody who coded something and they were just filling in the image title if there was no alt. And it's like, well, no, like sometimes we leave the alt empty on purpose. And I I appreciated that. Like they, they were thinking ahead and trying to be like, there should always be alt. But this was a developer who didn't realize that sometimes there shouldn't be alt and the image title I mean, sometimes you have clients who really get SEO, and so they work really hard to make sure their image files have good, meaningful titles. But most of the time, it's just like not good. Yeah. Um, I mean, typically, we try to, from a development standpoint, we try to utilize the WP get attached image function, mm-hmm. which will output that. And it also output the source set, right? So you get the multiple images sizes for the different viewports. Um, but there's a case where you, you, you do output your own image tag that you got to be mindful of that. Yeah. And, and the other sub item on this is it says it, it may be appropriate to make the alt text of a featured image, the post title in some cases, Uh, for example, a post about a company where the featured image is the company logo. And, And then it says, but please be careful about hard coding any alt text err on the side of allowing the content creator to enter it. Because I've also experienced it where they just hard-coded too much and it yeah. didn't allow the content creators to set what they wanted their alt to be. Chris, I think you're up. Yeah. So if there is an item in the nav that's styled like a button, shout out to all you people with the contact us, contact sales, get help, whatever <laughs> uh, buttons are in your nav. Um, it needs to be added in the nav menu settings with the other nav menu items and then styled with a class. Don't add it somewhere else, such as in a widget area. Yeah. We should talk about that. Why? That's a, well, because it's a list, right? You want to include it in the list. Um, well, and and in your nav tag. 
Yeah, and you have to if your if your navigation menu is properly set up as a list. <laughs> but, <laughs> Wait, but, did we have a podcast episode about that too? Yeah, yeah, we had it all about. Okay, yeah. we can link to that in the show notes also. But yeah, I mean, you you saw that a lot with like older themes, right? That they would always add that header widget area so you could add a button like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, I mean, typically I, what. Typically, what we do is we just add it in the menu and we add a class to it. Um, yeah, like menu yeah. dash button or something, right? I think there's been rare cases where I've actually had to write a filter function, like to add to add something in at the end or, or the beginning of a menu. Um, no, no. So what's next? We I think we have three more. So I'm up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, yeah. Any Tables, t- another podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like a flashback. It's like those old yeah. uh, sit- sitcoms, you know, where they would have the flashback episode. This is our flashback episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's good because this is gonna come out at the end of the year. It's there like calling back to things we talked about this year, but also for all of our listeners, this is an insight at how Amber comes up with podcast topics. Yeah. Things that What's she sees making developers, Amber bad right now? <laughs> things that she sees developers doing wrong. We're going to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> those, and those, add it to this list. That's right. Those, <laughs> those pesky developers. Any data table, <laughs> pricing tables, information tables, etc., need to be coded as actual HTML tables. It is almost never appropriate to use divs. If you want to use divs for a table, check with us first. And note that you'll need to add ARIA attributes to it to indicate that it is a table. Yeah. There was a whole podcast episode on how mad I was about <laughs> a table that was coded with divs. So go listen to that for more info. So the next one is uh, groups of posts should be coded in unordered lists, not divs, and should contain article tags in the LI elements for each post. And our last one. Oh, wait, you have something to say about that one, Steve? I mean, this was kind of a hard one for me. Like when we first started doing it, I was kind of like, really? Like I need to put like a, so like a, like a featured post or like related post, right? Like, yeah, related post section at the bottom. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I was like, I really got to put that in a list. <laughs> like, But I guess it makes sense, right? Because it, well, it re- reads out how many there are, right? And also it allows them to skip past them. Oh, because you could get to a list and instead of choosing to go through all, you could just go to the bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. But if they're not grouped in that way, you're forced to go through, which if there's only three at the bottom of a post, maybe that's not as big of a deal. But what if you're on like the homepage and there's six yeah. and you really just want to get further down the homepage? I mean, I don't know. Like the reality sometimes is that screen reader users don't go top to bottom of every single page. Right. Unless they're having a hard time finding something like if they if they come to a website with a specific goal in mind, then they're probably like hearing all the headers first um, or or that sort of thing. Right. And then jumping to that section, moving around, um, you know, if if you ever want to hear what Alex thinks about going top to bottom, you should you should ask Alex Stein that because I test that way and he thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> he's like, yeah, no one goes top to bottom. But that said, like the benefit of a list is it allows people to like skip and to know what to expect, which is important. I was just going to I was going to say uh, just it's a total tangent. Um, but the way that Alex sees. Like code mm. pages. Just blows my mind. Like I listened to the 
the testing episodes where and we put these out on the podcast too where it's his his screen reader going through things and he always starts at his normal speed and he slows it down which i think is is such an amazing flex on his part like just how fast he moves through (laughs) stuff and like steve things you've told me about moving through the code base i've actually been i've actually been on sales calls with people who listen to our podcast who are like i listened to the episode with this alex guy and that kid is a genius. It was like, I've heard that from multiple people, multiple people. But anyway, I'll, I'll go to the last bullet point here. Um, yeah. Alex, when ego, Lincoln... Alex's ego doesn't need to be <laughs> stroked anymore. <laughs> he, he knows we all love him and he's a genius. We do yeah. love Alex. <laughs> so when linking to a post with an image, heading, excerpt, et cetera, use one A tag wrapped around everything in the post block rather than multiple links on every element. I so literally like... don't understand that. So someone help me. <laughs> well, good thing it's notes for a developer and not notes for a salesperson. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand that, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. You want the you want the whole like if you have like your latest post, right? You want the whole like post wrapped in the link, right? In one link. Yeah. So it's like a card style is kind of like what we're getting yeah. at, which maybe it would be more clear oh. if I wrote that on there. Yeah. Okay. So these are all the things that I feel like we've commonly come across and and I've just like collected them into a list that I'm like, I'm going to give these to developers up front. And I do, I feel like generally it has helped, but not always. There's been instances where they got it and then we still saw these problems, but I don't, and I don't know if there's any way to solve for that. Well, I mean, I think maybe we we give them a quiz. (laughs) I think we take it. A, I mean, I think we we would take it a step further than this. I mean, the the notes we're looking at right now was a uh, project that I ultimately ended up working on uh, after we had tried it with another developer. But um, I think our notes will go to Basecamp, like we'll create like to dos in our Kanban and Basecamp, and a lot of times on on those notes, like especially if it's a newer developer and it's kind of a a tricky accessibility thing oh, or even if it's not accessibility, right. If it's just functionality, we're add even more notes, right. Mm-hmm. Like on how to do it or like, you know, cause most new developers that we work with have no idea about how to code a modal or, or accessible tabs. Right. And we're yeah. even putting links to examples and it still comes back. Not quite there. There's still a back and forth, but, uh, you think the problem is that this is a Google Doc and then we also have the Basecamp Kanban where the way we handle that in our dev is that we um, find like the units of things and it, it gets a little granular, like yeah. register the post types, yep. register the custom fields. Like those are separate items, right? And then and then it's like, you know, style the page, like like. And each page has its own thing and stuff. So it's the problem that we have these here and not on that. And so if I want better results, I need to not have it in a Google Doc. And I need to like on every single page that has a modal, pull in that expectation related to modals every time. Like that's what's hard for me. Like I'm like, I just want there to be one thing. And you've reviewed that and you've been told that and you said, okay, I got it. And then you apply to everything. But maybe that's not the way like a developer works when you're in the flow. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. I think every agency works differently, right? And I and uh, I think that developers that come into our agency definitely have a ramp up and a learning process. 
would you know like amber stated you know it's been seven and a half years that we've been working together right and you know after all that time when it's a small team you really do start to kind of be able to finish each other's sentences per se right um mm -hmm. and i used to always joke that like when i started work when i started working with them it was like you know a developer is trying to meet deadline right so there's always this this because you could spend forever developing anything to make it perfect right there's always a drawback between the timeline and the time you have to do it and the time in the day and the requirement right so sometimes you know you're like okay well i'll just you know that's close enough right <laughs> but the joke here is that you know after some time with working with amber was was in my mind i had this this like little i don't know angel or devil i don't know what which one it was sitting on my it was shoulder. a little it was a little amber it was, it was just a little a amber, amber sitting on my shoulder. On shoulder. Yeah. Like I knew if I didn't, she's going to find it. She'll find it. She'll find everything. Right. Like it's like if, <laughs> if I don't, if I don't do this right. She's going to find it and I'm going to have to redo it. Right. Like, so I think, yeah. I think when we get new devs in, I think it's definitely the first couple of projects. It's, it's learning. There's a lot of learning and a lot of people don't take accessibility to the level that we take it. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, uh, hopefully they will eventually. Right. And we we tried to with a hundred percent practice that you know if it's not accessible it's broken, like we're not going to mm -hmm. launch this. I mean, accessibility is 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 our company, right? Like we have to, it has to be accessible. But uh, yeah, I, you I know, think after time to catch on. Yeah, it's funny you say that that you visualize me. I so I did an <laughs> interview for the WP Constellations podcast, which is Stellar WP's podcast um, with Michelle and Jeff. Yeah. And Jeff said that he uses accessibility checker and every time he just envisions, he's like, he just envisions that it's me inside his website shouting at him. And I was like, that's horrible. I was like, maybe the cheerleader chewing you on when it gets 100%. That's, that's when you go, it's actually Steve's code yelling at yeah, you. Yeah, Steve is the one who's yelling at you, not me. Or or Matt, our other developer. But yeah, yeah. Matt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean, it, we all work collaboratively on what the rules should be and whether or not they work. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. also, let's be real. Like, some of those rules are just, like, it's WCAG yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So, so yeah, it is Amber. She makes sure those rules are pretty tight. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. So, it's, I, uh, I know we're... Yeah, go, go ahead, ahead Steve. No, you go. Okay, all right, all right I'll go. <laughs> I, I was just going to... I was just going to close us on a thought because I know we're getting close to time anyway, but, like, I it's it's a process right and so we've spent all this time listing through these requirements um and i'm just sitting here thinking about like i've had conversations with other other developers who have worked for other agencies and they have described to me this like this is so different right like what your process sounds like is so different like i'm literally what this is the developer talking to me and i've had several conversations like this it's like i'm literally handed a design and nothing else and told to go make it happen right yeah. And, and that's the brief, that's the requirements. I'm given nothing else, right? And and so what I'm I would say freak. is, what I, what I will say is, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying like for the agencies who operate in that way, and I don't know that it's wrong to operate in that way, right? You just yeah. have to hire good, good, competent people who you really trust, right? Um, but as you start to introduce these requirements, maybe do it gradually, right? Maybe have some conversations up front. 
um, rather than like dumping all this on someone, they might, they might feel overwhelmed, right? Especially if they're used to just being handed a design and told go, like give them yeah. some context, give them some information, maybe drip it out to them gradually. Um, I'm just advocating for progress over perfection, right? Um, and I think that's the that's the name of the game. And that's just based on some me trying to be empathetic to other developers I've spoken <laughs> with where, you know, they're just they're just told to go create an outcome with with no other strings attached, right? You know, I might play a little bit of devil's advocate on that. Like, at, I think at some point, especially if you're an agency owner, right, or somebody who are or project manager, someone who's responsible, if you're deciding that accessibility is important, you have to draw a line in the sand. And you just pick a project. And ideally, you increase the budget on that project with the client, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's going to be accessible. And, and if you take this list, which we'll put in our show notes, right? And we read out, if you aren't visiting the show notes, you heard it, right? And and this is like our baseline bottom expe- expectations. Like, I think you just have to, as long as you figure out the right way to communicate that. And obviously, as we've said, we're still working on it because I don't know if the Google Doc is the best way. And like, I need to move it more into the other places where the developers are working because they maybe forget to reference it. Mm-hmm. But like, you have to, at some point, just say, this is what we're doing and this is expected to you. And I mean, don't tell them in the middle of the project. That's when it sucks. Like no developer <laughs> yeah. wants to hear like at the very end, oh, and this is accessible, right? I mean, how many of us have heard horror stories where mm-hmm. clients say that at the very end? And you're Those just people like, oh. end up being our clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just like, but I think if you set it out at the beginning, I don't think it's like, oh, on this project, we're going to make sure there's no ambiguous links. And then on the next project, we'll make sure there's alt text. No, like just decide. This project is going to be an accessible project. And I think you have to sort of be willing to learn and eat it a little bit. (laughs) Totally true. Like, I think we all did. We've all been there, right? Whether it's on accessibility or something else where we were like, we didn't do as well as we thought we would, or we maybe felt like we worked for $5 an hour (laughs) by the time the project was done, right? But we, you know, it didn't happen again. And we learn stuff. And, and I think like picking a project and doing that and then figuring out how to communicate. And then the, the thing that I've been doing is having this centralized list that when I see a problem, I don't just open the GitHub issue. I then go back to the list and I add it because my idea is I want to make sure it doesn't ever happen on any other future project. So like having that set up that you're constantly going back to what your dev notes are and updating them to meet the new standards or to like, I never thought I had to tell a developer that all images should not be background images, but hey, I did. So I'm just going to tell all developers that now. And most of them are probably like, why are you telling me that? This is dumb. But I ran into someone where I had to say that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it pushes, it pushes accessibility forward. You know, like it, 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 you're, we're training developers when that, when we require these things and we're pushing them to, to be better. Right. And, uh, and I'm sure after, you know, if if a we just bring in a contractor to work one off, after working with us a couple of times, they now have a skill set that they can take with them, that that they got through having to learn that, and I think it's vital and like the impact of whatever they touch, in their career here or their career somewhere else, is should be better. You know, making the web more accessible. Yeah. 
I'm such an incrementalist, but you both may have convinced me that just going all in with both feet is the better option. I don't know. I always get so empathetic of other people's plights and struggles that I have trouble, but uh, (laughs) maybe it's maybe jumping in is the right way to go. Yeah. Well, um, we'll be back in two weeks with another conversation episode. In the meantime, if anyone has thoughts for us about how you write your dev briefs, as we've said at the beginning of this episode, we're trying to refine ours so they're not in a million different places. I would love to hear from you. You can reach us on uh, Twitter or in the Facebook WordPress Accessibility Group and let us know. All right. Bye, everybody. All right. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Accessibility Craft. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in your podcast app to get notified when future episodes release. You can find Accessibility Craft on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And if building accessibility awareness is important to you, please consider rating Accessibility Craft five stars on Apple Podcasts. Accessibility Craft is produced by Equalize Digital and hosted by Amber Hines, Chris Hines, and Steve Jones. Steve Jones composed our theme music. Learn how we help make thousands of WordPress websites more accessible at equalizedigital.com.